0: Hey, what's going on, good people? This is Gardner Douglas, and I'm your Oyster Ninja. Uh, Welcome back to the Oyster Ninja podcast. I'm glad you could make it, and I hope you're excited for a great show. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking to Mr. Ryan Ono from the Ocean Conservancy uh, here in D.C., Washington, D.C., and we're going to be talking about acidification, And if you don't know what that is, you're in the right place. I honestly didn't know a lot about it. And that's the blessing of this podcast is I get to learn all about that good stuff. And if you care about, you know, our local waters or anything, if you care about the Atlantic, the Chesapeake, Bay, the Pacific, whatever, you know, this is a big issue. And, um, Mr. Ono is going to tell you how you can, um, help with this problem, you know, reaching out to your, your delegates and other, uh, nonprofits and things. So anyway, I'm not going to get too much into the podcast. Uh, I'll let you hear from the expert, but, um, I hope everybody's, uh, enjoying their Memorial weekend and Memorial week and everything like that. Uh, it's been a Great past couple weeks. My wife graduated from Trinity University here in D.C. Um, She mastered it. And um, I've been shucking like crazy. I had to let them know, you know, I'm still DTS down to shuck. So that was fun. I did a retirement party uh, at the Pepco Gallery in D.C., and that was real fun it was um the mayor was actually there of uh dc and uh no she still hasn't ate any more oysters uh been to a few events where she's been there and still no oyster eating for her um i was shucking patriot oysters there patriot oysters from massachusetts and let me tell you those bad buddies were good nice salty you know uh similar well the shell was similar to the island creeks and um but it was it was a great oyster and i also actually i did a youtube video on that so if you haven't uh subscribed to the youtube channel yet um i'm reviewing products there Uh, i'm reviewing oysters i'm teaching you how to shuck all that good stuff similar to the podcast but with a face to it uh, and not as long of course um another fun event I did was for Edible DC where I was shucking oysters for Doi Moy. And uh there I was shucking Hollywood oysters, Hollywood from Southern Maryland. And um nice and clean taste. Um but let me tell you, Doi Moy. Haven't been to the restaurant yet, but I gotta put it on the uh to-do list because the topping she made for those oysters, chef, oh my gracious, it was delicious. It was like, it was, like, <laughs> it's it's just like the flavors just stuck to your tongue and stuck to your jaws. And they never, they never gave away. It's like when the fla- flavor started fading, you know, it was time to eat another oyster. It was crazy. And um, one of the last events I did was a private birthday party where I shuck some handies, uh, from the Eastern shore of Maryland. So, um, I'm not going to hold you up with all my fun events, but if you do want to follow, um, of course my traveling oyster bar is S dot dot shucking on Instagram. And, um, the YouTube is, um, Ocean ninja podcast on YouTube. Uh, Anyway, let's get into this acidification with Mr. Ryan Ono from Ocean Conservancy. You guys are going to get a lot out of this. Um, The man knows his stuff. But anyway, don't take my word for it. Listen to him. He's a pro. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, good people? Today we are here with Mr. Ryan Ono. And uh, he's working with uh, Ocean Conservancy. Uh, here in uh, Northwest D.C., not too far from DuPont Circle, and uh, I'm going to let him take over and give an introduction of who he is.
1: All right, well, thank you so much, Gardner, for having me on the Oyster Ninja podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Ryan Ono. I am the program manager for Ocean Conservancy's Ocean Acidification Program, which has been around for last seven or so years, making us the nationwide organization that has one of the longest running programs dedicated to the ocean acidification issue with full-time staff. And I've been doing this for about the last four years, helping shellfish growers and fishermen fight ocean acidification and working on healthy water quality, healthy water chemistry, which is part of acidification. More specifically, I inform them of the latest science and research, news, policy developments here in Washington, D.C. In addition, I help connect them to their representatives here in D.C. and get the meetings and get them into conversations with those representatives so they could speak truth to power and Tell their representatives how important healthy oceans are to their businesses, their livelihoods, as well as their communities. And, you know, because without a healthy ocean with good water quality, they don't have good oysters to sell and for folks like you and me and your listeners to eat. And on that note, one of the more fun things I get to do for my job is to actually promote eating U.S. farm shellfish. And so, You can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Ono, and every now and then I'll tweet out something about an an oyster that I just ate or do some photos. I also blog for Ocean Conservancy's blog, and you can read about that. There's a blog that I have on shellfish recipes, and so it's a lot of fun. I've been doing this for, like I said, a few years, and really enjoy the intersection of working with people who are on the water as well as people who are making policy decisions on this important issue.
0: Right. So did you always uh, have a love for, uh, I guess, you know, getting that word out? How did you fall into acidification? Was this just a job or?
1: It's been a, a long evolution, but still very much related to a passion that I've always had for the ocean. I grew up in Los Angeles on the coast near Santa Monica, and I would always watch... Public television uh, shows on the ocean like nature and always went to the beach and always had an interest in fish and crabs and oysters and when my parents would take me to a seafood restaurant I was too restless to sit down and wait for the food so I would always camp out in front of the tanks of oysters and crabs and just look at them. Fast forward to college I, I started studying environmental economics and policy at university of california berkeley and political science and really got into it didn't really want to do the science side of things and so i started looking at what are the economics of natural resources like fisheries and so i started doing some work on sustainable fishing out of college in the gulf of mexico and then i started thinking about how aquaculture was really a future issue to think about and to really get involved with because there's more people on the planet and so we got to feed them somehow right and so I did some work at the University of Delaware looking at shellfish aquaculture permitting and that's how I really got to know some of the growers up in Massachusetts and this job in DC opened up and working on acidification I knew that acidification was probably one of the biggest if not the biggest issue environmental issue that shellfish oyster growers are facing and so it kind of made sense that I could use my fisherman background with shellfish aquaculture and apply for the job and got it and I started in 2013 January 2013 and been doing it loving it ever since
0: I'm glad you brought up that this is one of the biggest problems we're going to come back to that but uh, I want to ask um, what's your favorite oyster do you have
1: a favorite? You know, so oh. knowing that you know oh. your, your oysters, <laughs> I can get pretty specific. Oh. I will have to say that I think, and I've also been to Europe as a part of my job, so I've had some of the the lists, but I would say the Crassostrea virginica from you know, native to the east coast is pretty tasty. For to drill down. I think I got to go local, and with the 38 Norths out of mm. Maryland, they always have consistent oysters you know can't go wrong with them i mean don't get me wrong some of the oysters coming out of murder point in alabama buttery you know sweet really great tasting uh they they're kind of a young farm so it's harder to find them up here so i can't you know enjoy them as much but the 38 norths are real local you can find them a lot in oyster bars there's one local one that i go to a couple miles from my house and so i always know they're probably going to have them, unless they've sold out, you know, of you course. Want to give them a shout out? The 38 Norths? No, the, the, the Royal Bar. Oh, oh, this is uh, um, this is Republic in Tacoma Park, okay. Maryland.
0: All right, there you go. Cool, so let's jump on to this acidification. What is it?
1: Ocean acidification is a global problem with local impacts, and it's primarily caused by atmospheric carbon dioxide emissions getting absorbed by the ocean and changes the the water chemistry that's now 30 percent more acidic than it used to be prior to the Industrial Revolution locally there are other sources of acidification such as runoff pollution that comes from whenever you have a rainstorm all that water washes off streets off of farmlands and that brings nitrogen and excess phosphorus into streams rivers and eventually the ocean and that causes a local increase in co2 in the water furthering acidification and that's not good for a lot of animals that scientists are investigating right now we do know that bivalve shellfish such as oysters clams mussels are very vulnerable to acidification i wouldn't say they're the most vulnerable because we're still investigating other species that are impacted but we for right now we know the most about those animals and we know that there's a lot of additional mortality or a higher die-off rate because of that for oysters when they are when they're babies when they're seed. And so we are concerned about acidification because oysters are important not only from an ecological standpoint, you know, they form oyster reefs which can Um, buffer and dampen storm surges or hurricane waves coming on shore and help protect our shorelines, but also they are, you know, as I said before, livelihoods for people who are living on the coasts, for these shellfish growers, some fishermen as well, and uh, we want to make sure that the oysters can stick around and, you know, survive into the future for people to not only harvest and eat, but also to uh, be that ecological resource for for us as humans, but also, you know, to provide habitat for fish and crabs and, and all sorts of animals that are really important to the natural ecosystem off our coasts.
0: All right. So um, in the beginning, you said that you work with uh, hatcheries, and you just said that, you know, a lot of baby oysters get hit by the acidification. So is it anything that hatcheries can really do to Um, Helped a baby oysters along in that process.
1: Yeah, uh, I think one of I think what I'll do is answer your question with the story, if I may. I like stories. Yeah, and I think the story that kind of kicks off the modern ocean acidification awareness movement is the one from the Pacific Northwest region about ten years ago, and you know, backing up a little bit, the Oyster hatcheries are a critical part of the oyster industry. The These hatcheries raise baby oyster or oyster seed, as some of the industry will call it. Um, these are microscopic to ver- barely visible baby oysters that are raised in 1,000 gallon tanks and then are sold to oyster farmers up and down the coast. And in the Pacific Northwest, there are maybe, you know, five to seven really big ones and so they each one is extremely critical for this industry and you know if you can think about the terminology I'm using a lot of agriculture terms you have seed that gets sold to oyster growers or oyster farmers and without that seed oyster farmers don't have a crop without a crop they don't have a livelihood so this is really important and And we don't
0: have any oysters to eat
1: yeah And so that's why I just wanted to sidetrack to tell you, to give that a little bit more context, and uh, in case your listeners are just tuning in. uh, And so about 10 years ago in 2007, the Whiskey Creek Hatchery based out of Neatarts Bay, Oregon, in that little bay on that coast, um, really started to see these problems and Alan Barton is the name of the oyster hatchery manager who was kind of on call and leads that effort. So, summer 2007, he wakes up crack of dawn, jumps in his car, drives to the hatchery, flips on the lights to check on all the oysters in the tanks, looks in them, discovers that millions of them are just dead, doesn't know why. And classic, almost Hollywood whodunit type of right. story of, you know, why are they dead? You know, we really need to make sure that we can, you know, figure this out so we can not only fulfill our orders but also make sure that the rest of the industry can hum along like like normal. And so they really struggled to figure out what was causing this die off, and they first thought it was disease, but then they ruled that out and really had to scratch their head, and it wasn't until they partnered with scientists from the Oregon State University. On, and determining that it was an ocean chemistry problem, mm-hmm. which now we know is ocean acidification. And there was an upwelling of cold, slightly more acidic water from the Pacific Ocean that lapped up onto the shores of Oregon. Mm-hmm. And because that water was slightly more acidic, it contributed to this die-off of baby oysters. Wow. And so they were then, over the course of the next year or two, one able to determine what was the cause but then two to answer your question they were able to figure out okay if it's a chemistry issue how can we adjust the chemistry so that it's healthy or at least suitable for these baby oysters to survive again and essentially what they added was an ant acid to the water as it they drew it pumped it into their tanks and the oyster larvae started to um, get back to normal a little bit. They didn't have as as strong of a die off, and if you can imagine, if you go out to eat or have some really spicy food, stomach's not feeling so good, kind of achy. You might take an antacid, a tums. Right. Pop one or two of those in, and hopefully your stomach starts feeling better. Right. That's essentially what these hatchery managers did. So they put tums in the tank. Essentially, they, it's they put in you know. Sodium bicarbonate ash—they have right. bags of this stuff. They put it into the water and do a few other things to make sure the water is sweetened, and so mm-hmm. the oyster larvae can survive. And so that's what a lot of hatcheries do now to ensure that their larvae survive. And it's a, a really critical time period for the baby oysters' development. You know, I I know that you have a young kid yourself, and you oh know as well as I, because I have young kids that babies are pretty vulnerable when they're little like little you, need, you need to take care of them and that's when they're the most vulnerable right and so similarly hatchery managers they have to pay really close attention to these details like water quality water chemistry and they're able to manipulate the water so that they can ensure they have that healthy crop coming out and you know um don't get them wrong they they produce billions of baby oysters but you know they are very important and especially I think they have lost in that time period of one or two years they lost 70 80 percent of all of their larvae and they were just scrambling Mm -hmm. to figure out what was going on and so by end of 2008 into 2009 they had figured out okay we can add this antacid into the water we can do okay you know it's but it's a band-aid to the right. problem, you know, they've still got to take this wild ocean water and manipulate it so that their tanks in an enclosed, controlled situation in the hatchery can, you know, essentially be like mother nature used to be, and that the oysters can survive. And so, that is, you know, concern moving forward because we know that the the natural ocean is still slightly more sick on average. And so that's a problem for wild fisheries, like fishermen, oyster growers, or here in Chesapeake Bay, the watermen who are going to be harvesting oysters. They don't have a hatchery to manipulate water chemistry, and so they're especially vulnerable. Uh, but for the most part, it's it, the hotspot, almost ground zero for acidification, is Pacific Northwest. So okay. Northern California up to Southern Alaska or so, and scientists are concerned, along with oyster growers oyster industry um, players that acidification might be hitting their shore soon but we're still investigating if that will be a problem and if so when and what might the impacts look like
0: so if they're if the oyster farmers are manipulating the water do they have like a, a reservoir like of what because I know like on oyster farms you have like that that steady flow from the bay to your your oysters are Mm -hmm. so if you have to manipulate that water so it can have the correct ph or the correct balance is it like a reservoir full of water and then it goes in or do you even know
1: you know that gets a little bit more into the details there might be some farms or hatcheries that do something like that i know that in addition to just adding in that antacid some hatcheries will better time when they draw in the water and okay. sometimes they'll they'll hold it right. so I don't know if it's quite like they hold it in a reservoir right but one of the things that we here at Ocean Conservancy do is to help them understand when to do that process mm-hmm. because if you know as you well know there are tides and so there are certain times where tides coming in so more water from ocean is coming to the farm and other times when low tide, water's going out. And so we've helped uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, to install monitoring equipment at these hatcheries and offshore of hatcheries and um, farms. Sometimes the sensors are in the hatcheries so they can monitor this water quality, or sorry, this water chemistry in real time. Some, you can go online on your computer or on your phone and check out what's the water chemistry right now mm-hmm. And sometimes you can see a wave of more acidic water coming up, approaching your hatchery, and then you know, okay, well, I gotta batten down the hatches, so to speak, right. and start my, you know, precautionary protocol so that my oyster larvae is gonna be safe. Wow. And you know, obviously that that costs money and right. coordination and work with scientists, and so uh, we do a lot of that behind behind the scenes work to make sure that that investment in oyster infrastructure can not be lost due to acidification and and so we are trying to expand that model from the Pacific Northwest to other parts of the country that we think are a little bit more vulnerable to acidification and uh, so but that's a a long process that we're in the middle of and we've got some good successes so far but there's still a long road ahead
0: right so you said what oyster farmers do to you know keep their crop. What does Mother Nature do?
1: There are a number of natural buffers against acidification, and you know, sorry to keep on going back to you know high school chemistry and biology courses, but you know Earth this is this, oysters are very much in the natural <laughs> environment. Uh, one of the natural ways Mother Nature helps to prevent acidification is just simply growing plants, as we all know: plants, seaweed, eelgrass all that type of vegetation, they breathe in carbon dioxide and expire oxygen. So if you were to have, you know, healthy seagrass beds or healthy kelp beds around these bays and estuaries, a lot of that change in pH, which is a measure of water's, water's acidity, a lot of that will just simply be taken up by the, the vegetation underwater. Unfortunately, due to the degraded state of a lot of coastal waters, there just isn't a lot of that healthy vegetation population around anymore. And so that's why some of this acidification issue is even more pronounced in certain areas, as, as well as um, just the fact that you, know, you don't have this extra sponge. And so that makes the, the pH... Vary a lot more and into that danger zone for the oyster larvae. Um, you know, another reason why the Pacific Northwest is vulnerable to acidification is just because of the ocean topography. The There is a lot of deep water that is close to the coast mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest. And so, cold water holds more carbon dioxide and more acidified water. It's not. Uh, and so, that's great for fisheries. There's a lot of nutrients that are in there as well, and so that's why you've got really productive fisheries, you know, like the crab, salmon out there, but it also brings this this interesting chemistry dynamic. Out here on the Atlantic coast, we have a long, sloping, shallow shelf, and so any of that water that comes up from the deep, it's spread across that long, shallow shelf, and so it takes it'll, it has a lot of disbursement until mm-hmm. it gets to the coast, and right. so that's why... We haven't really quite seen it as pronounced as you did in Pacific Northwest in 2007, 2008, where it was just nearly an overnight um, issue.
0: Why are people not talking about
1: acidification? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are a number of reasons why ocean acidification isn't a bigger issue than one might think part of it is because of like i said the success that the hatchery managers have had in just simply putting a band-aid on the issue so it's it's lurking in the background but it's not having these headline grabbing die-off problems at least in the shellfish aquaculture industry and it's good in the sense that we don't have that problem because you know, we want to have as many oysters as we can get to eat, and we love having them from all different parts of the country and the world. But it's a it's a lurking problem, and it's, it's unseen. You can't smell it. You really have to have expensive equipment to track the changes in water chemistry. And unfortunately, if you don't have that equipment, you only see the after effects. Like, if you have a huge die-off, then you've got to do an autopsy and figure oh. out, well, what caused that? Um and also it's in the ocean. It's ocean issues are are tough to grab attention and get a hold of. You know, we work at Ocean Conservancy and so that's something we fight for all the time to remind people that the ocean is really important for you know, absorbing carbon dioxide, producing oxygen, for just life on our planet. And so I think the one of the big issues Uh, At play is the fact that, you know, it also is a largely unknown issue. Scientists are still trying to understand what are the exact impacts. Oysters and, and bivalve shellfish are the creatures that we know the most about. But I can say that some scientists have done laboratory experiments on king crab, dungeness crab, and have found that these baby crabs and their most vulnerable state, they are having really hard time living in acidification conditions. They are having uh, higher death rates. And uh, some scientists have done studies on sharks and have found that their sense of smell, their keen sense of smell is out of whack when they're in those low pH, more acidic type waters, and they can't hunt as effectively as they are renowned for. And so what are the, you know, in the wild real world Implications. What are the food web impacts? And unfortunately, this is a you know a, like a, a slow moving horror movie that we are in the middle of, and we are still trying to understand what's going on underwater, where it's hard to see, hard to monitor, and we at Ocean Conservancy are trying to be proactive in working with the fishermen and shellfish growers who really could stand to lose a lot, and ensuring that we don't have any disasters in the future. And so trying to get people to pay attention to an issue that they think is far off in the future is difficult, right. you know uh, And we feel like this is the the most effective way to go because it's, it's hard to fix a problem when it's already broke right, and, you, know, right. you want to try to get to it if you think it's going to be a problem, try to do your best to you know fix it before some disaster happens.
0: I was reading somewhere like it throws the balance off on like squid where they're just doing a little wobble thing and then like other fish you know it, you know they rely on uh, echolocation mm-hmm. it throws that off it, it's like a, like a buffer in between or something so it's kind of weird how it affects you know different marine life
1: yeah sometimes i think i've, I've seen some studies on salmon that have shown their you know sense of I don't know if it's smell or just how they're able to hone back into their headwaters where they're born, you know, in rivers and uh, all over the Pacific and in the Atlantic, you know, how they just magically know how to go back to where they are born. Some of that is now screwed up because of this change in water chemistry. Uh, But again, it's just, it's hard to really put a finger on what the implication is and, you know, what's the actual checkbook impact to people and, you know, are we going to see much less fish on our dinner plates or how much, and so that's something that scientists are trying to get at and we at Ocean Conservancy are trying to communicate to policymakers all the time. Uh, that's why I try to stay on top of the science and, and policy developments as as much as I can to as a full-time job to let everybody know what's going on and, and connect the dots.
0: So on your part, how do you stay up to date on like the the latest you know, Scientific discovery that just came out, or you know, how how do you stay on top of it?
1: There's a lot of avenues. I you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say silly things like on social media, Twitter. Sometimes that's how I found out about some of these things just by following the right people. Right. Um, but the bulk of it is is through uh, some just email listservs and there are certain ocean acidification institutions that produce the latest research developments that are published uh, my boss is the program director of our program and she's a carbonate chemist and so she knows a lot more people who are publishing this stuff and some, sometimes they'll just send it over to her and let her know that's what she's, they're working on right. so that's how, how I'll hear about it and just being plugged into the water quality managers uh, locally or even some of the federal scientists who are doing this work lot of university scientists do this work and they publish it in newsletters or in emails and I get wind of it through all sorts of ways and try to translate it a bit for mm-hmm. for everyone as, right. as well as for myself and let them know hey there's a scientific study this is what it does this is how it can impact you this is why we think it's an issue and here's what you can do about it.
0: So as far as the normal average person who just cares about, you know, the water in their backyard. And I know it doesn't, what well, you said it didn't uh, affect us locally as much as it does on the Pacific. But what can we do locally? Are there any programs or anything that we can do, help out, volunteer?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of things that people can do wherever you live, whether and locally as an individual or even collectively. As I mentioned before, the primary cause of acidification is carbon dioxide emissions. So we all know how to reduce our carbon footprint, you know, use less electricity, drive less, use energy efficient appliances, turn off the lights, that sort of thing. The more local issues, which is something that Chesapeake Bay region and the Northeast and the Gulf of Mexico know a lot about is, you know, the runoff pollution. We've all heard of harmful algal blooms and how they could result in fish kills. And so just simply, reducing the amount of nitrogen that you use if you have a lawn you know try to cut back on that perhaps buy organic produce so you farmers use less less nitrogen fertilizers in addition you know and so i would say if there's anything that uh, we can do it's just cutting our carbon dioxide emissions uh, and you know as well, if you want to go the extra mile, contact your representatives. Let them know ocean acidification is an issue for you, know, you as a seafood lover or as a person who just loves a healthy ocean. Let them know that acidification is a big deal to you and ask them, what are you doing about it? Right. Um, you can also go to our website, oceanconservancy.org, to learn more about the issue. We've got a lot more uh, you know, videos and blogs and web pages on the issue and feel free to read that tell your friends tell your neighbors and talk to them about the issue and you know that's kind of how people get to know about this issue you know they get to know from the friends or their their local oyster ninja podcast there you
0: go there you go uh yeah and with that being said i kind of forgot that like this is not just local you know so you know we got listeners on the west coast and all over the world so you know, is there any bigger programs on the West Coast that are going on to help out that you know of?
1: You know, are you talking about organizations? Organizations,
0: and yeah, that people can uh, get involved with.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, one of the big organizations actually that is started in the Pacific Northwest is actually an international one. And that's the International Ocean Acidification Alliance. And you can go to their website, oaalliance.org, and they're a collection of state governments and nation states and tribes and universities and nonprofits such as Ocean Concerns that, that have banded together to tackle the acidification issue on a global scale. And so they, we have been involved in some of the United Nations discussions to highlight acidification as a global problem. Some of the more local issues, institutions on the west coast oregon state university university of washington some of them have the top world-class scientists who do research on this so they're a great resource uh the you know the shellfish growers out there also do a lot so the pacific coast shellfish growers association they're really big the alaska marine conservation council based out of alaska they are actually very active on the subject as well Uh, A lot of the environmental groups out of Puget Sound are also pretty active as well. Is history helping us out any like Has this happened before in history? In the grand scheme of history, one of the reasons why acidification now is so scary is the fact that the ocean chemistry has rarely changed this quickly, this fast. As I mentioned before, it changed, became 30% more acidic in the last 200, 250 years. That is fast on a geologic scale. And so that's one of the reasons why we are really concerned. I'm just happy that the ocean has been able to take it as well as it has um, given that it operates on the scale of thousands if not millions of years. The other historical point that I would make is that really bad die-off that the Pacific Northwest suffered in Oregon and Washington state in 2007 to 2009 or so. And nobody wants to repeat that, you know? You wanna learn from the mistakes and what has happened. And, and that's why we are working so hard at Ocean Conservancy to ensure that we have water chemistry, water quality monitoring stations set up either on buoys offshore or in hatcheries here on the east coast and around the country so that we can understand what's this water that's headed towards us right now, is it still okay, should we be getting worried about the change over time, Uh, you know, and some of the other partners we work with at the governmental level, NOAA works internationally, and so they are trying to help get some of these monitoring stations set up around the world, train scientists to know what to look for, and to understand what's going on there, and so. Other countries are starting to get more involved. New Zealand is a big player. Chile starting to really get uh, aware of the acidification issue, in part because they have a lot of shellfish production down right. there. and They want to make sure they can they can continue having that in the future.
0: So again, on that larger scale, if we don't take care of this now, what does it look like?
1: You know, it's I. Don't want to paint a doom and gloom scenario. It, however, does seem to be like it is a, a slow moving horror story or horror movie that will likely have, you know, if we do nothing else differently and continue to pump out carbon dioxide emissions and you know not care about the excess nitrogen and phosphorus that's running off our our farms and streets, then we're probably going to have more die offs of shellfish. Than might be more die-offs of uh, other fish Uh, I I would also mention that acidification does not help coral reefs as well it it hampers their ability to rebuild their skeletons and so if you have a coral bleaching event or a big hurricane storm that blows through a reef and damages a lot of it they can not grow back as quickly as they used to and so you know all those tropical fishes can't use that as homes anymore people can't go to snorkel or scuba on those roofs as much anymore and, and you know, so that's an ecological, um, you know, issue that, you know, nobody wants. That's also an economic issue that a lot of people don't want either. And so we really want to make sure that we avoid those future scenarios, we want to try to make sure we can protect these ocean resources as much as we can.
0: So this is really a, a full circle. Because you know it affects our oysters, so now the oysters are not clean in the water. We can't eat oysters. Um, it's not producing, or it's not helping the grass out. The um, seagrasses. Seagrass. So now we, you know, you don't have places for a little fish to hide. Our blue crabs. Um, we can't go scuba diving. No more vacation fun. You know? <laughs> so it's it's really a full circle, and then you know, wow, it's wow
1: yeah i will also say you know there's there's a lot of hope in that there's been a lot of great work that's being underway particularly by the shellfish farmers they are the strongest champions for this issue and telling members of congress other decision makers that hey this affects our bottom line our jobs our businesses we employ you know x number of people in washington state alone it's about 3000 people and you know it's a million dollar industry and so we want to make sure that people can be aware of this issue and try to take steps individually and collectively to do more about it and there are a lot of local uh, situations like in the tampa bay where uh, florida where seagrasses are coming back and so scientists are trying to study you know what impact on water chemistry is that you know we think it should be better but you know we want to make sure that we test it and Put some numbers to it and we're hoping that with the restoration of seagrass beds as well as oyster reefs we can nip this issue in the bud and make sure we have healthy ecosystems so we can you know eat our oysters we can go scuba diving in coral reefs um and make sure all the fish come back and you know sustainably fish and that sort of thing
0: that's great that's awesome anything else you would like to add
1: you know, I, I would just re- like to reemphasize again, please, for for all of us to cut our carbon demis- carbon emissions and to learn more about acidification, visit us on OceanConservancy.org. You can feel free to tweet me, at Ryan Ono. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us here on the Oyster Ninja podcast. It was a lot of fun. And to uh, talk to you, Gardner, and so I appreciate the opportunity, and I hope that we can you know, do more as individuals and and tell our, our leaders that this is a big deal. And it's something that is concerning the whole world because we all have an ocean that we share and it's, it's really important for our everyday life.
0: Hey, it's me again. Uh, your oyster ninja. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mr. Ryan Ono uh, from the ocean conservancy. I hope it has opened your eyes to some scary issues that are actually going on today. And, um, Hopefully, you know we can come together and make some changes, you know, together as one. But uh, until next time, I think our next episode is going to be on why you should be eating oysters and uh, the nutrition from that. Uh, so stay tuned for that episode, and of course, follow us on Instagram at oyster ninja pc. Uh, follow the YouTube channel. Just just Google how to shuck like a oyster ninja, <laughs> and you'll find us there. Um, any questions, comments, um, that would be our oyster ninja PC at gmail.com. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sticking with the podcast. And until next time, peace, love, and slurp. I don't know. Maybe not. All right. Until the next time.